episode 91 of Gaming MBS, sponsored by GameholeCon, a gaming convention occurring in November. Get your ass to GameholeCon. Visit GameholeCon.com to register and find more information. Welcome to Gaming and BS, a, t- a show about tabletop RPGs and other miscellaneous topics of geekery. I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome back, folks. And if anyone's just joining us, I'm glad to have you aboard. Yeah, Brett is, and I'm still on the fence. Sean's, yeah, he's he's been kind of edgy lately. I don't know what to do about him. Edgy. Edgy. All right, Brett, let's get into the announcements. Yeah, let's do it. We've got some a uh, couple <clears throat> uh, couple GameholeCon dates I wanted to, to throw out there. The uh, VIG badges, the very important gamer badges, the renewal for those, if anyone was in on that, opens up on June 11th. And from what the boys are saying is there will be at least 25 new VIG badges offered this year, in addition to any of those that are not being renewed by existing VIG badge holders. So if that's something that's interesting to you, go to the website, check it out. I didn't realize that you, once you were, you you renew it? like. Yeah, they basically, it's kind of a, the first group in, if you're in, it's kind of like season ticket holders type of thing. If you're in, you're in. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's how they're doing it, I guess. Um, The other piece, just to throw it out there, is pre-registration for all others is June 25th and starts at noon Central Standard Time. That's not far away. No, (laughs) no, it's not. It's it's June now. It's 20 days away. God damn it. These guys get their shit together. They're doing it in June for a con that's in November. (laughs) In, uh, I'm paying, I'm. Quick sidebar to the Evercon thing. We're doing our best to get our collective shit together with the different changes we've made, and we're uh, our stuff should be opening up pretty soon as well. Once I've got more solid dates, I'll get those out here too. Yeah, well, you got until January, right? Yeah, but even so, it's good to get the get the word out and all that stuff. Yes, so. it is. So in um, non-gaming convention no uh, news, I should say, uh, announcement, Sean and I are going to have a trivia contest for episode 100. We're at 91 now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So in, what, nine more episodes will be episode 100, and that'll be pretty freaking cool. So I've got a little trivia contest. I've got some questions. I think a few softballs, some hard ones. It's all stuff that's been mentioned on the show or topics of the show and so forth. I, put, I pitched it over to Sean today to have him take a look at it. Once we have the uh, the form up on the website, um, we'll tweet it, Google Plus it, Facebook it. And uh, email it and all that good stuff. So you guys um, and ladies will uh, have that in your uh, hot little hands shortly. Do it! That's right. As Shia LaBeouf would say. Shia LaBeouf. Do it! That's right. Let's get a random encounter, man. Let's let's do it, brother. Random encounter. Element of the show. We revealed emails, voicemails, social media, comments from listeners. Brett, you want to start? I can do that. That. Good God, I can't talk tonight. Greg Palachek says on episode 90, Origins is completely worth going to. Sean and I talked about going to Origins in that episode, and neither one of us have been. So thank you, Greg. Um, totally worth going to. Not so large as to get lost in the con. The board games, RPGs, miniatures, etc. are located in different areas. So if you uh, like only one thing, you don't have to walk a lot between games. Plus, Origins has one thing Gen Con doesn't, the Smithy Awards, a fan uh, participatory uh, B-movie awards show on Friday nights at 7 p.m. where you vote on the worst of 19 categories, such as worst acting, stupidest looking monster, etc., with five clips per category to choose from. That, that could be fun, Sean. That could could be a hoot. It could be fun. Could be damn a lot of fun. I do want to get to Origins. It's the one... It's the big one I haven't been to at all, period. And uh, that in North Texas RPG Con is kind of on my radar, but I don't know. Yeah, North Texas is one of those that's kind of a bucket list thing. I'd like to be able to do that if I can. But I think Origins, Sean, might be more doable. We may have to uh, plan that one a year in advance with these significant others to see if we could pull it. Might have to bank a lot of extra coins in the uh, spousal, uh, spousal kitty there. We'll see what we have to do. Anyway. This might sound a little little bad, but I need some animals animals to move on. Oh <laughs> that's the, well I got a farm it, I got a farm to take care of over here. If, if uh our free no. practice is coming up, it, so it, <laughs> don't do that. Ixnay. No, I would not I would not arrow one of Sean's animals. Ixnay on the uh 
Murder of the animals? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Right. Sorry, animal lovers. Edwin Nagy. Nagy. Nagy? Nagy. Edwin, you're gonna have to tell us, man. I think we're I think we're slaughtering that last one. The reason I say that is because my nephew's name is Nager. N-A-G-E-R, and he's been called Nager. But anyways, okay. that's, why, that's why I ask. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's that it's what we do here. We share We share bizarre little insights into how Sean and Brett live they, our lives. Yeah, they don't care about No, they don't. Enjoying the heck out of your podcast ever since hearing about it at GaryCon. I tend to add a tiny bit of flavor to each skill and combat role and often base them on the degree of success or failure. Often it's nice to think that the blow hits, but the armor resists. I did well, but the beast is just too tough. And others, the fighter flubs it and swings wild. Then when they succeed, I can add, I can add say and say that they found the chink between the plates. Some of this also clues to the monster's AC or in general, the difficulty of the obstacle, and some is just fun. I think we used to do this even way back in AD&D days, but certain in it, it's been part of what I've been running these last few years, whether Swords and Wizardry, 5e, or Call of Cthulhu. Happy gaming, Edwin in Maine. Sweet, in, another guy out in Maine. In Maine, yeah. He must, be, yeah. He must live right next to Roger. Because I think there's six people or right. six gamers that live in Maine. There's like one street. Okay. <laughs> one street in all of Maine. Yeah. That's right. Uh, same zip code. And we just lost our entire Maine listenership. Great. Good for us. Okay. Hello. We love Maine. We all love right. it. <laughs> Forrest Gary, one of our patrons, comments on interpreting die rolls. And Forrest says, for me, it's all a question of uh, pacing and player involvement. If I have a player who has been sitting on the sidelines because of uh, personality or an experience, I try to take the time to narrate those near misses and awesome hits. If I'm needing uh, to get through quick combat, uh, think con games with time-limited sessions, I'll bang right through and not bother with the narrative except when I see the need to draw a player in with detail. It's not a quote-unquote either-or proposition to include narrative or not. A DM has to be flexible, know when to elaborate, and when to shut up and let the dice do the talking. Each DM has to explore this for her or himself to know uh, when to apply each technique. And yes, shutting up and letting the dice do the talking is a technique. As a player, I'm cool with either approach, but I admit to liking it when the DM takes time to elaborate with little details as the dice allow. Um, I don't mind being spoiled when it comes to the uh, creative act of the group storytelling. Can you imagine? I should... I I just... I have this vision of running a a con game and just not being very good and a very bad game. And so when I would, what I would do in this instance uh, to, to force this point is to elaborate on every die roll for like five minutes. <laughs> that would be terrible. Oh, yes. Well, oh, let's uh, see. I think the first thing that happens is, uh. Yeah. So there, <laughs> there's levels of elaboration that could go into anything, right? I mean, you could take it to any level of crazy extreme. Yes, but I think it. I mean, it, hey, as a GM, I don't. I don't think GMs should be. See, I get on the players a lot, and you know what? I don't think GMs should be off the hook either. So I think they should. You know, hey, every role there should be a narrative that the GM comes up with if the player doesn't. Two to three sentences written out ahead of time. No I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I, that's not a bad idea. A chart that, and you can never use the same one twice. Nice. Moving, okay. mo- moving on. Moving on. Steve Orlick emails us. I play D&D 5e, which I forgot to mention in my earlier email. Since combat generally takes a while, I usually don't add too much fluff if the roll was close. Maybe just a quick, ooh, so close. I use that one. Have you ever used that one? Absolutely. Sometimes I'm like, oh, damn, or whoa, that was close. Almost. And it's just tone sometimes. Those Those are great clips, Brett. They're very good clips. However, I use degrees of failure and or success for skill checks. Determining how well you got info out of an NPC or deceive them, how much history you know about a certain uh, thing, that kind of stuff is great for the degree of success type die roll. So that's pretty much my thought on the matter. Carry on, gents. Steve Orlick. And I agree with Steve. Like Those those, uh, kind of social things and clues and diplomacy and intimidation, you could put in, I mean... You roll a ten, this happens. You roll a twenty, this happens. Yep. Yeah. This kind of and the premise of the show was that you know there are some 
systems that have mechanics around this specifically. And some don't. Some don't have necessarily all the the levels of degrees of failure or success. So kind of how do you mix and match? And I like this uh, I like this idea. This is good stuff, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> all right, then we've got Matt Martinez throws a question over to us. I have a player who ostensibly likes role-playing games but doesn't seem to enjoy the actual role-playing portion. Oh, Lord, I've, I've had these. The last session I ran ended up being very heavy on role-playing because the rest of the players decided they wanted to really take their time and interact with the NPCs. Well, this player really wasn't having any of it. He was sitting back in his seat, not engaging, while everyone else was actively looking for opportunities to do something. At one point, I asked him what his character was doing. He said his character was just waiting at the boat for everyone to be ready. Kind of sounds like my guy back on the ship. I, I didn't. I didn't want to say. <laughs> it. I didn't want to. I say knew it was it. coming, so I said it myself. Anyway, it's Matt like Brett, goes on. Brett with, Star Wars guy, kinda. Um, Matt goes on to say, I decided to throw in a random encounter once the party had regrouped and gotten on their way, and he did perk up for that. Well, I didn't talk to him directly about it, and I know I should. During a conversation a few days after the game session, he made an offhand comment in which he referred uh, to what the players' PCs had been doing as dicking around. It struck me as odd, since only one of the characters was doing anything outlandish. Our barbarian went up to a spice shop to find ingredients in case he had an opportunity to make a dragon egg omelet in the near future. Well, you need spices for that. Like you do. Uh, <coughs> as you do. Uh, and all of it made sense for the characters that were playing. I just worry that his play style doesn't fit the types of games I want to run. It seems to me that he'd prefer a straight-up dungeon crawl. Those are easy enough to GM, but I find them to be kind of boring, to be perfectly honest. He's a good friend, though, so I want to do what I can to keep him engaged at the table. Should I just try to throw in more random encounters to keep him happy? Hmm. Well, Matt, it sounds like it's, from my perspective, is that if the rest of the group really enjoyed the role-playing components of it, it there is the potential that it went on too long or that there was um, something that just wasn't clicking or, um, you know, sometimes people don't, they don't mind it for a little bit, but if it goes too long, then, um, then maybe you do need an extra random encounter. Sean, what do you think? Uh, you know, <laughs> that's this. Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't know the relationship um, with this particular player. Like, I don't know if it's a, uh, a really good friend, a stranger. That sometimes helps understand, like, how honest and... You know, well, he says he's a good friend, right? Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, he's a good friend. And, and well, I get... In you that know, case, you don't... just tell him to, like, cut the shit. <laughs> nice. I do think, though, with, because he is a friend, there is the opportunity that perhaps what you do is, is have the talk with him saying, look, you know, the rest of the group really liked it. Were you bored? And, you know, his, his statement that they were, quote-unquote, dicking around does indicate that he was kind of bored or thought what they were doing was was dull. I guess if he likes role-playing, it might be worth a question some time with this individual to ask him to define what he means by role-playing. Some people like role-playing in the heat of combat. Some people like doing action stuff in the idiom of their character, right? They want to be able to swing across a rope. They want to be able to act like uh, Errol Flynn or something on a pirate ship. For those of you who don't know who Errol Flynn is, oh my God, I am old. Look it up. Anyway, um, if that's something that they like and that's a role-playing aspect for him and perhaps not the talky-talky aspects of role-playing. Some people believe, I shouldn't say believe, some people really enjoy the role-playing components that are action-based, right? And that may be what Heath feels is more role-playing. And if that's the case then perhaps, you know, the next session or two, a little more a little more action for him might be the key. Well, again, if, if he's having a good time all around and that one session kind of threw him off, maybe it was just a little too long. Yeah. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I don't know what the context is because we've had, I mean, let's face it, players dick around. Like, Brett, you, you're <laughs> yeah. a perfect example. You and Kevin and Austin. I mean, dick around, dick around, dick around. <laughs> A little bit. We mess our, we mess about. Yeah. Um, but so I mean, this guy may may not be role playing type person. Maybe he doesn't want to be that. He does. He doesn't want to be theater guy, and that's cool. But you know, how is that going to conflict with the rest of the group? And if it's going to be something that every session is going to be all the other players but me dicking around, uh, then it you know say, you know, he's not going to be happy and have a fun time. Or you got to balance it out as a GM. Like, okay, maybe maybe you got to put in some combat encounters for this person to go in and start hacking and slashing and doing their thing and 
you know, the, the role play between NPCs is kind of a limitation or limited or balanced and not to outdo. Another way to do this, at least just an option, I don't know what kind of character this person was playing, so I'm assuming it's, it's a D&D thing. We're talking about barbarians and dragon egg omelets and such. Um, if his character is a fighter type or whatever type he is, if he can be convinced that, you know, his character needs to go... If this was Sean and, you know, we're playing with Chris and Phil and others and, you know, Sean or Brett sitting back somewhere, whatever, um, and you want him to get out and do something, sometimes it's worthwhile finding a reason for him to be there with the other group. And then it doesn't have to necessarily just be... So Sean's character is talking. He's going fine. Brett doesn't really get into this whole messing around, blah, 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 talky, talky. I want to punch <laughs> something in the face. And then have somebody in the bar come up and bump into me. Well, then it interrupts the negotiation that Sean's character is doing. And suddenly Brett gets to have some interaction. And it can be verbal. It can be you know a, a bluff check. It could be intimidation or something along those lines. and um, Or even a fistfight can break out. Right. Right. And um, so you can do that kind of in the middle of things, depending on how how your group would be. Uh, I don't know. I guess if they'd be OK with mixing it up that way. That's just a, some thoughts off the top of my head. That's Matt. a good. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a good mashup. That's a good approach to see how how he reacts to that type of interjection. Because when he's there, so the reason, so we, we pick on Brett a couple because of things. His, yeah. his guy sits back on the on the on the ship for Star Wars. I am I'm enjoying that type of play. I like it. I'm getting data. I'm pulling stuff in. It's it's fun for me, and you know it's working for the group. I'm not mad. I don't think the group is fucking about, and I'm not feeling disappointed or bored. It's not bothering me. So, if I was though, Sean provides me with ample opportunities to say, "Hey, there's a pod race going on in Cloud City," and I'm like, "Oh, okay. I'm the mechanic." I'll hook up with Kev's character. He's the pilot. We're going to go there and mess around with the pod cars. It gives me something to do. It gets me out of the ship, and I get to be a part of the action. That's kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> we've had other scenes where people are out doing things, and there's a reason why Jim's character is there because he's the tough guy, so he's the muscle, or the Mandalorian is there, so we need Austin's character because that's the muscle. And sometimes the muscle doesn't do anything other than glower and look intimidating during the negotiation process. And that itself means that person is part of the role-playing exchange, even if they don't have to get into all the talky-talky, mess-aroundy stuff. That's right. Good stuff. Matt, you'll have to let us know how it goes and what approach you take. We'd be interested to know. Absolutely. We'll learn. We'll learn through you. Uh, yeah. And it, I, if he's a good friend, like you say, you, you don't want to fuck it up and or have just the guy bail to, on yeah, you. Yeah, if he's a good friend, like Brett's doing this, I'd just be like, cut the shit, Brett. Yeah. And put the gun away. Oh, come on. Click. And <laughs> and <laughs> Philip Cole. Yeah, see that? NPC. I like it. Right. Hey, fellas, I have finally, finally caught up to date with the show as of the ride home from work today and decided to write my first actual message to you that wasn't months and months behind the times. So here it goes. Bring back the Ewok. <laughs> Wayne's handful of appearances were always a joy, and I deeply miss his insightful commentaries on key issues. I felt that his input brought a nuanced third viewpoint to your proceedings and feel that uh, he sh should he find time out of his busy schedule eating potato crisps and destroying space stations, his return would be most excellent. Perhaps a special segment where he reviews new products for the show. Anyway, keep up the amazing show, and I'm glad to finally be able to listen to them as they air, because Jedi was best episode. NPC. Nice. Yeah. So for the record, like we don't do this show live video right now, but Brett can see him. Wayne is sitting behind me, uh, and I did last week's picture. Yes. Uh, episode 90. I posted in Google Plus community, like, hey, we were done, and I believe... Wayne lurks in that yes. picture. That is that picture I think was taken just before he flipped me off too, which the little bastard tends to do sometimes. Well, he did attack me after the fact, like when he came out of his drunken stupor. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he gets so bent <clears throat> out of shape. You know, the DTs are nothing to to dick around with. <sighs> no, no. He's he's had a he's had a rough bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Freaking Ewok. I know. <laughs> One thing I do want to say to, to end Philip Cold, uh, Mr. NPC, is that not only, I shouldn't say just to, to our NPC here, but to anybody. I mean, if you're picking up on the show and you, you listen to an older episode, because you're doing the right thing, you're going back to one and listening forward to for the, you know, for the nuanced um, storyline that is our show. Each episode, the one prior is the prerequisite. Absolutely. Yeah. So once you've leveled up through all of that, if you have a question, you know, you're like, hey, yeah. dude, back on episode five, the fuck is wrong with you? That's cool, man. I would love to go back and, you know, I'll, I'll do the research myself, dig back in and say, what the hell were we thinking? And it may be, well, um, we've done this before when it's system and other things. We, If there's something that you as listener think that, hey, maybe we should revisit, maybe we've changed our point of view, which we are want to do, it might be cool to go back and talk about something. So, uh, Mr. NPC, if you've got something else that you think uh, from back in the day that you'd like to have us bring back or chat through, just feel free to throw it out there, man. Yeah, that's a good point, Brett. Just because um, you're not up to date doesn't mean you can't send us an email. Like we're we're saying this in hopes that somebody's going to get to episode ninety one. Yeah, exactly. And we'll be that much further, I guess. But anyways, if you, if you listen to the old stuff and you have a question, <laughs> let us on the know. off chance that someone says, "Hey." You start with episode 91. That's the start. Right. That's the start. Just on the off yeah. chance that that happens. Right. And, and uh, we reserve the right to change our mind. Absolutely. All right. Chris Shorb comments on episode 90 about keeping players engaged again. <clears throat> Excuse me. I actually, for the first time in many sessions, asked my Dungeon World players how they thought the game was going and what we could do to make it work better. I didn't focus much on what had been going well, although I think I should have. Instead, I focused more on what we could do differently, read better. Background, we have six or seven players, usually for Dungeon World, which I think is one or two or even three players too many. Not enough spotlight time. So in play, I had been jump cutting back and forth, trying to make sure everyone got spotlight. I think the jump cuts were too abrupt, and people wanted to see what happened in one corner of the encounter before jumping to another. Anyway, the feedback I received was great. More improvisation, less jump cutting. Let the narrative complete a bit before changing. For myself, I realized I had not been giving the characters what I had planned, um... The one I banned it was one player's arch enemy, the Naga had imprisoned another character's mentor, etc., and was being too subtle about the clues. So next week, more improv, longer time between cuts, and I'll trigger those links to the characters' backstories they have uh, they have come up with during play. I wasn't necessarily ready for the feedback, but I'm really glad I got it. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. And I know we, we threw that out there, and I know some people do it. I know Chris Nizak and other people we I know do it. My buddy... Um, Alpha will when he's run. Hey, what did you think about that or whatever? It's not easy to do that because you're asking somebody to tell you something bad. Right? Yeah, you're because opening you're opening it wide open. Yeah, you're opening it up, and it sounds like Chris, you had a good group. They came back with some cr- um, constructive criticism because the worst thing you get is something. <coughs> excuse me, as vague as oh this sucked or I was bored and no no detail behind it. So it sounds like they gave you uh, the crew gave you some really good stuff. So that was sweet. I do agree. Sometimes getting some good, um, what did you like is helpful. It sounds like they got to that, but, um, basically having the, having the intestinal fortitude to ask the crew, what do they think and, uh, dealing with the answers. That's pretty cool. that's a good, uh, that's a good thing to do, man. Yeah. You're a better guy than I am. Shorb. Absolutely. I would, I would ask for feedback and then not give a shit about it. So that's, good. that's, that's happened. <laughs> Did I get feedback? I don't even remember. Not that, not that, not that you would care. I've, but we, I've, we got together and, and talked. I'm in denial. It's okay. uh, yeah. Let's get into the topic. Let's do it. The button doesn't work. <laughs> what in the heck are we talking about this week, Brett? Well, I want to talk about gear again, but this time, instead of talking about um, non-living gear, living gear, all the other things we've chatted about, I want to talk about that power gear we get, that magic item, that atomic-powered you know, nuclear fuse battle armor, you know, yeah. the, the Holy Avenger stuff, you know, Black Razor from the old um, uh, White Plume Mountain, you know... Sean and I have talked about this a, a little bit, kind of off the off the mics again. But how much do we like to give our players? Is there too much? Is it all setting driven? Oh boy! Because I tell you, man, sometimes I have gone back 
I remember specifically in high school, you know, you'd be playing D and D or whatever, and our game master Eric would be like, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna start over." Oh, what happened? And someone would go, "Oh, that's because I got Black Razor, isn't it?" Oh, that's because I picked up the trident of you know kill all the gods, or that's because we have this artifact or something. And a lot of times it was yes, because there was some weird, crazy, this kind of, it, it may end up being a balance thing, but there was something that happened that made it just fucking weird for the game. Like, oh, great. Now everybody has, there's, you know, the hand of Vecna is out. We have it and we figured out how to use it or whatever. And even in superhero games or sci-fi games, or whatever, sometimes there's that, oh, you have a Star Destroyer now. Holy shit. Um, yeah, you've got the biggest, strongest thing out there. I don't know. All right, start over. So, Sean, have you ever had it where you have regretted giving away or even receiving a powerful item in a game? Anything like that? I regret every item I ever give to a player, Brett. I, yes, I know that, That's Sean. why it's my goal to get it, take it away from them or destroy it. As quickly as possible. Okay. Well, it's kind of like it, it, it draws the campaign out. Because if I didn't give them, a, give them something, the players will get mad and pissy. And then uh, they'll wheel around and they'll kill everything, which will make me mad. So then okay. it's, not, it's kind of a balance thing, right? You give the players something, they use it for a little while, and then it's my job to destroy it or take it away from them. And that way I'm happy and they're happy because they're getting to use it a little while. <laughs> nice. And then I'm I'm happy because I get to destroy it and take it away. So all from all powerful gear in in Sean's game is just for rent. Uh, you can only have it for a little bit, and that's it. Hey, it's on the leasing plan. It's on the leasing plan. Yeah, it's okay. a, you're leasing this weapon, just so you know. I have. But hey, just, and by the way, I'm running games at Gamehole. Make sure you register for my games. <laughs> yeah, they're they're great. <laughs> you'll you'll love every bit about it. Um, yeah. Find me, find me on Google Plus. PM me, I'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, <clears throat> I have in the past the Monty Hall aspect of it back in the day. And for those of you kids out there who don't know who Monty Hall is, Monty Hall, it was a game show thing, and it was this gigantic giveaway of huge watches of cash and craziness and so forth. That was where the phrase comes from. And um, that concept of going through a dungeon and finding... Where you'd go through and say, oh, another plus three sword. That's not as good as my plus five Holy Avenger. Um, We've talked a little bit about, you know, limiting magic and other things in the past, but I have had it where I've given somebody an artifact, you know, not given, nothing's ever been given to them. They've, you know, they've earned it in some way, shape or form. And this is where back in the day I used to live and die by the treasure tables in the old DMG where you would roll percentiles. And there was a funky chance that you could have some, crazy, you know, throne of the gods sitting there in a dragon's horde. Or you could have some, you know, there was a weird chance that the Eye of Vecna is laying there in the, in the right treasure type. Yeah. Somewhere in a pile. Um, and that concept of, well, guess what? I rolled it, and that's what you're, you know, we're, we're kind of stuck with having to figure it out. I stopped doing that a number of years ago, and the magic items are more carefully placed. And even none, when <clears throat> when it's not magic, if it's, you know... Gear, cars, uh, airplanes, machine guns, power armor, whatever people can get their hands on, excuse me, is still not tightly controlled, but reasonably controlled so that you can't just run out and say, well, my character has five dots in finances, so therefore I should be able to buy an M1 Abrams. No, you can't just go buy an Abrams. I don't care if there's a listing for it in the player's guide. That's what I'm talking about, Brad. Put the big hammer down. Yeah, hammer him. But I don't, I have not, I have, I don't remember the last time I gave players some big, huge, elaborate thingamabob that would, that I would regret. And, and frankly, the game now compared, like you said, the game now compared to what it was before rolling on random tables and like, oh, plus five Holy Avenger, cha-ching, is, is, isn't as, uh, what is it, uh, prevalent in in I see many games today that I have, that I have played or run, but you do have that piece where the players want rewards, right? Sure. And sometimes it's not just experience points; they want stuff. Oh, they just whine about every damn thing. God, they, <laughs> nice. Where's my XP? How come? When are we gonna get more gold pieces? When are we gonna get magic items? I'm like seventh level, and I don't. Ha- I can't even get a potion of cure light wounds. That's that's my. <laughs> <laughs> You're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
seriously though, I would you know I would I'm surprised I have even a game group to play it. Yeah, it's me too. Actually, I'm in it. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think if uh, I think once this court ordered uh, uh, you know community service thing wears off, I might not play with you anymore. Oh shit. Um, anyway, gotta get Brett to do something awful again. <laughs> it won't take long. Um, anyhow, I have uh, as a player side, I have had it where. Again, game masters would give out stuff that was crazy powerful or whatever, and I do remember seeing it and going, "Up, oh, this is the end of the campaign because the sort of cost is out now." And oh wait, we now have the ultimate weapon in the universe. And well, okay, that there goes the game. This will be the big penultimate thing, and we're done. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. In short, I think that it, it, it seems it seems like a no brainer, right? If you do something crazy, you can break your game. In that you can make it, and even if you don't think balance is necessarily a thing or whatever, when you put a certain level of power into the hands of the players, um, then there's shit that then you have to deal with it. Um, so even such a thing as spells, people learn, you know, a true teleportation spell. They can go wherever they want, whenever they want, and minimal chance if any of failure. <clears throat> Those type of escaping spells or raising from the dead and so forth. When that type of power is out there, that gear is there, if you will, um, it puts a totally different spin on the game itself versus what it was, right? So if all of a sudden, if death has been a really big thing, and then suddenly, oh, I have a resurrection spell, I can, like that, boom, you're back. All I need is a toe. <clears throat> wow, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I have this crazy awesome teleportation or gating spell or I can go from place to place relative I mean really quickly that that changes the dynamic of uh, the campaign itself even having something in a modern setting is look I have a private plane I have full access to uh, military this that or the other thing or you know sci-fi I I can I've got a starship um, that I can do whatever I want with it, it, it can change things if you hand it out and you're not ready to deal with the ramifications you know what I'm saying Brett, have you done that? Have you given somebody some stuff? <clears throat> oh hell yeah, oh yeah. You, I gave a I gave a one of my vampire players a copy of the Necronomicon. Oh, just and, like uh, a duplicate, right off the no, press. No, like the like the Necronomicon, like the one out of the the not the player, the character finds this thing, and uh, it was supposed to be a one shot game that turned into a really really long vampire campaign, and he had this incredibly powerful artifact. The way I designed it, it was just like kind of a weird throwaway thing that I had done and turned out to be this crazy fucked up thing that had to not be nerfed, but had to, I had to add some serious consequences to its use. That's right. What? So how old were you when you did that? Were you like, were you 14 or were you like, no, I was in my twenties. It was like just yesterday. No, I was in my twenties. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I mean, it's half a lifetime ago at this point. It is. <clears throat> yeah. It was. Um, so when you, to do so, one of the now here's the thing I have done in the past. I don't know if this if other people have done it, I'm sure somebody else has this. Is, it's very hard to be absolutely original with this, but I have given my players incredibly powerful shit because it was in the vampire games or in DD or something where it was this really cool artifact that I wanted them to have for a purpose or a number of different things it was supposed to be used as a plot point, a, a hook of some kind, um, rings that were powerful, swords that were artifacts of some level. Um, and then what I would do is I knew certain players never abuse this stuff. I could give my one guy, I could give Forgash any magic item and he would look at that and go, oh my God, I could level a mountain with this thing. I better not use it too often because if I do, Brett will take it away from me or something bad will happen. So like like this, a mountain will be gone. <laughs> like a mountain will be gone. Maybe and people he likes, come looking. Maybe he likes people, that mountain. Yeah. People come looking for whoever destroyed the mountain with all the dwarves in it. That's true. Um, <clears throat> another guy uh, used to play with Andy. Andy would do the same thing. He could get a hold of stuff and he would use it very sparingly because he as a player would realize that, wow, there's a reason for this. And it is metagaming in a way, right? But he would look at that, and he would never want to abuse the hell out of it. I've had other players, you give them anything, and um, 
I have a plus five, whatever. I draw it and I stab the bartender. Why? Because that's the answer for everything, right? As soon as they have it, they want to use it for everything. You know, someone rings the doorbell. I, you know, pull out my bazooka and I go to the door. Dude, you don't have to, why would you do that? Well, you never know. Um, because players. <clears throat> because players. <laughs> but I have, I have found, and this is kind of an, perhaps a player engagement thing where I, I know that certain players have a proclivity to not abuse sync, abuse stuff like that. So sometimes when I want to throw something crazy out there, um, a little big, a little, a little overpowered, if you will, I know the players in my group well enough that I'm fine. Oh yeah. You know what? I'm going to throw that to Andy. This is going to be fun. Uh, I know a couple other players, but Andy, give me, give me, give me a one track. Come on. Let me try it. Oh, come on. Use the, well, Andy, that's use the it. question. And Andy's not going to do it. That's the question. Why would you give them that stuff? Or when? Because it's a, it's a plot point. Okay. It's something that I want. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that is a, a point of conversation is why would you give your players some crazy artifact or powerful item? Yeah, which is where, again, to your to our earlier point around like the randomness of the old tables and such, um, <clears throat> and following that to the letter is then you're like, why is this here? How come the how come the beholder has the eye of Vecna and has never used it? How come this dragon has this thing and is you know or whatever? When I've handed it out, there's been a reason for it. And then I usually have something along the lines of, hey, there's a badass NPC or a cadre of NPCs that are looking for this item. You've got somebody who's also been looking for the Holy Grail, and guess what? You found it, and now you're the, the one that they all want to come after. Yeah. Sa- because they Sa- want that thing. Sauron wants that ring, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, that'd be an awesome uh, name for an evil guy. That could be Sauron. I like that. Yeah. We should use it. A ring. a ring. I like the ring idea. Yeah. Like he dumped a bunch of his power into it too. Take I this. Think we can hey, do this. Take that down, Brett. Take that down. I got it. I got right, it. Right, right. Yeah, it's going to sell millions. But I think the the only reason I do it now and uh, is because it's a plot hook or a point for some reason. And, you know, all jokes aside, there is kind of a least uh, perspective to it. Like, oh, we have this book. We have this ancient artifact, whatever it is. Or we have this powerful, um, you know, laser cannon or this super powerful, whatever it is. Um, (laughs) excuse me. The only reason you have it is because it draws bad guys to you. It draws good guys to you. It creates a moral quandary of some sort. I use those things in my games to raise questions and create conflict. And I don't want it to be the conflict of, you know, how many goblin tribes can I kill before Brett gets sick of my shit and takes this away from me? Right. Right. Because that's boring to me. Yeah. I think cursed weapons are uh, definitely not used as frequently either. And I think I need to explore that a little bit more. Kind of the concept of the, um, well, Black Razor a la Stormbringer or something. Hey, this thing's really, really powerful. But, hey, there's a horrible downside to using this blade. Or there's a horrible downside to, well, you look at the... um, uh, in superhero genre, the Iron Man movies, the first couple, um, Tony Stark, hey, he's built this thing in. He's got this great generator thing stuck in his chest. And lo and behold, he's getting sick because the type of solution he has is it's killing him. Right. And in the second Iron Man movie, spoilers, <laughs> he has to figure out how to deal with the fact that the thing that's keeping him alive is also slowly killing him. And it's the type of palladium or whatever the hell metal he's using is causing this issue. Um, so again, it's incredibly powerful. It lets him do all this amazing stuff, but it has a horrible downside of something that he must deal with. And even again, if you look at comic books, a lot of times the, the characters have this person. She has this amazing gift, but it has an effect. It has a bad thing that happens to it. So I think using those tropes and using those kind of ideas is absolutely something that we should bring into our games. And that's why I think when I do it, the gamers that I'm gaming with, are like, oh, it totally makes sense. As opposed to, <clears throat> excuse me, the old days when it was, oh look, another plus five holy avenger. Oh look, I have the, I have you know, that this you know the whatever of demigorgon. Wow, look what I can do here. Um, it's not random. There's a point to it. There's a purpose to it. And I know the old artifacts and in, in the AD and D days, you could write down all the different components, the different facts and features of positives and negatives and all that stuff. But I think. Now everything I'm doing is so much more story plot driven. It's a thing for the for the whole group to revolve around. What are we going to do with this thing that we have? And I think that becomes fun. 
It's kind of a MacGuffin that yeah. gives a player something to whack somebody with. Yeah, I think uh, going off that idea that we just came up with, we should have the that ring. Yeah, uh, like it should be uh, it should be cursed. The I more, like it. Yeah, the I, more you use it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Get that down. <clears throat> got it. Got it. Sweet. Oh, I like it. It's, I, yeah, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> um, so when you when you have had <clears throat> magic gear in your games, or you know, big atomic powered you know combat suits or something. Do you ever worry that this, from a challenging perspective, that you may have given the players too much and that you can't challenge them anymore? Has I, that ever bothered you? Every the, every day of my life, Brett. <laughs> um, there's still like I'm still trying to get over the nightmares of being a teenager running D and D and and giving players too damn much. And that's I think that's why I'm jaded, man. All those plus one daggers for nothing. <laughs> you have no idea, <laughs> bastards. One might even have been a plus two. Crazy. Crazy um, fool. It doesn't happen very often, uh, but yes, it is hard to get around that. And and frankly, sometimes it just comes down to the game system. Like in some systems, they, people just get very powerful because of the system that they're playing in. Yes, and it you know scaling right because so we're kind of talking about the balance piece of it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But a Brett, little bit. But Brett, you don't run balanced games, which is why <clears throat> I don't care that I put in at this point now. It doesn't bother me. That somebody has the Holy Grail, or if they find the the Crown of King Solomon, that doesn't phase me. If in a cult game they find that thing, because that's the MacGuffin, that's the piece everybody's looking for. If they happen upon it, however they happen upon it, you can get that. <coughs> excuse me. Often, I shouldn't say often, but some uh, Call of Cthulhu adventures, you have these artifacts, these weird mythos-based things that are terrifyingly powerful and also damning your soul and various other things around you. I mean, they're really dangerous. But the game itself can start to revolve around them. <clears throat> the The interesting part to me with some of these ad hoc devices is that I've actually used it to, to pump some new life into a campaign. You're going along. You're supposed to save the, the duchy from these bandits, right? Some a bandit king is doing something. You go after the, the bandit king. You take him down. You go back to the duke. The duke is like, thank you so much. This is awesome. The duchess is super happy. And in the process, you encounter... Um, you, you find an item, right? It's this really cool thing. And then you decide to take that item and make it a, a plot point, something else that turns on it. So when, wow, you know what? I need the, I need something to happen here. The, 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 I'm getting a little stagnant or whatever. Somebody comes up and tries to steal something from the mage. I mean, he's like, what, is it, what, what happened? He tried to take this stupid ruby necklace I have. Why does he care about that thing? Um, <clears throat> even if it's not a magical item, the power that the necklace has, it may be, um, symbolic from a long lost king or uh, a, a, a town, a people, anything like that. It's it's kind of it has this great sim- symbolic power to it, and he, and he wants that because the possessor thereof has rights within a certain society. That suddenly that item becomes important. It's a plot hook device that I that I like to use now. That when a game sometimes, if I'm feeling a little stagnant, because if I'm as I've said before, I make a lot of shit up as I go along. They'll come into a game session. God, I don't know what to do. Everything I planned today, they're kind of going crazy. Wait a minute. Sean's got this thing. I'm going to go uh, and say, hey, that clerical vestment you took off that one weird priest two sessions ago you've been carrying around? Yeah, somebody sees that, and now they want it. Why they want it? Well, you knew it was a forgotten god. Oh, cripes. They've got a forgotten god problem to deal with. Yeah. Makes, does that make sense? I deal with that forgotten god problem all the time. It does make sense, Brett. Do you do stuff like that, or am I? No, I have. I mean, I would love to say that I've done it on multiple occasions, but it, it's been a while. Usually, if it's in the if it's in the module that I'm running, there's probably a purpose for it, right? Usually, you drop it in there. It's the well, I better not say because some people don't play. I don't want to give something away <laughs> in a module that may well, come about and. Now, what you're saying, though, is actually, that's actually sparks an idea in my head, is that I think some of the places where I pick some of that up are some of the older modules, you know, where you have this item. Like, I, I talked about White Plume Mountain and Black Razor. Black Razor is basically a reskinned uh, Stormbringer from the Elric uh, books by Michael Moorcock. Um, we end up with this incredibly powerful thing. You've got Whelm and a couple other. You've got a trident, a hammer, and the sword. Um, <clears throat> that you can end up with out of here. And there's, there's powerful artifacts. And 
there's really nothing in the adventure that says what you do with it after the players have it, right? They can all players being players can always choose to no, I'm going to keep the horror, the incredibly powerful, horribly powerful thing. And yay, it's mine. I can go kill more goblins with it or whatever. And stemming from my desire to, I got to take that fucker away from him or I've got to make it, it's got to hurt in some way. I can't challenge this player anymore. He or she seems to have this incredibly powerful thing making then it again now it's well yeah duh morden Kanan comes down from wherever the circle eight and says no you can't have this and takes it away from him well that's kind of heavy-handed deus ex machina i don't see anything wrong with that of course you don't john but using it then is now that this artifact is out word gets out yeah it's again then things start to happen and I think from running older modules and reading them and seeing these items and like, Jesus Christ, that's powerful. What the hell are you going to do with that thing once it's loose in your campaign made me start to act and think in this way. So then when I would roll on the random chart, it would come up with Acts of the Dwarvis Lords. Holy shit, there's an artifact laying in this horde somewhere. What am I going to do with that? Especially when the when the barbarian's carrying it and there's no dwarf in the party. What happens when He's carrying that through a town and, you know, 15 dwarves see him. You know, what's going to happen? Something needs to happen. Well, even if they get the magic, the big powerful item doesn't mean they know how to use it or can, yes. or can that's use another, it. That's another interesting piece, too, is when you have stuff like that and you don't know how to use it or how to use it to its fullest potential. can be fun. And I well, think... If they mess around with it, maybe maybe it yeah. blows up in their face. It maybe it does. Like a little <laughs> bit, like huge blow up in your face. Yeah, like just playing, it says this side towards enemy. What does that mean? How many dice are you rolling over there, Sean? One, two, three, four. Seven, All of them. 10, 11, 12. <laughs> Roll them twice. 900 <laughs> points of damage. <laughs> Holy crap. I really do. I, I know this, it sounds, it may be trite and all the listeners are like, well, duh, Brett, this is not, not that fucking hard. But I really have found that, again, to kind of pump some life into something or change it up is that, if I'm able to, if I'm keeping track, and again, I don't have a laundry list of stuff that all my players have picked up. Right. But when somebody's using something regularly or you you know they found something pretty cool and they've got it, if you can keep track of that, make note of it. And then as the players are doing something, you want a little side quest, you want a little red herring action, somebody's bothering them that's, you know, has nothing to do with anything else, but could be really confusing and a ton of fun. Guess what? The Thieves Guild wants the ruby dagger of, you know, whomever back because it was a dead master thief. They want his dagger back. You don't know that's what it is, but that's what they want. You know, it just, it gives you something for me anyway, it becomes a plot point as opposed to just shit I'm handing out and then having to deal with when the players are, Oh my God, I don't know how to challenge Sean anymore because Sean's got so much crap. No, I wholly wholeheartedly agree. I mean, if I roll uh, a D and D game and it was homebrew, um, I would definitely want to drop something in there and then it with the with a purpose from a GM's perspective. Like if I'm dropping something in there, it's got to make sense. And in some modules that have the real powerful weapon, powerful magic item, artifact, whatever, usually there is a reason for it. Maybe it's powering the big bad. You just have to know that. Players may not know that, but it's in there for a reason. What is the reason? And some of the old modules, it does make sense. Um, and then the players get it, then you can deal with it because they're just they're not going to know how to use it, or that's another whole adventure. They got to go and figure it out, or somebody else is after it. Now, now it's the, what are the players going to do? Maybe it's the big bad that's after it, and the players have it. And now they're being hunted down. Write that down, Brett. That's a good plot point. I got it. I, I like it. Yeah, I let's like make it, it like a ring. It. Maybe like one of like twelve or some stuff. You know, how about we just give like three to the elf, Elven Kings, like seven for the Dwarf Lords, and then we could give like nine to the men. I didn't, do that. I didn't know you were going to break it down that. Wow. That's, well, I think it, it's it's pretty good. That we is do that. pretty good. I like that. I see a movie, so, books, deals, man. It's going to be- <laughs> Toys, freaking, all of it. Yeah, it's going to be on McDonald's Cups. Or, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, man. dude. So I guess the last thing I want to say is that, um, perhaps some, plenty of things here, but anyhow- Having a game about a MacGuffin, about a piece of gear, you know, that's powering the big bad, got to take a ring, dump it in a volcano somewhere, make a note, um, all that stuff, volcano, that that yeah. can be fine, and that's very, it's what I would say very traditional in the, the trope, in the trope factory. I do like to have it be kind of a side piece. Again, when I ran my vampire game for so long, the guys would find these weird vampiric artifacts or knowledge things or um, <clears throat> lost lore from some clan or something or other. 
And it didn't have to come up all the time, but it would be a, a nagging thing, an annoyance that would come up. Um, one of the people I used to play with, a uh, old girlfriend of my cat, she would, she'd found a couple things and she's collecting this. Oh, this is really cool. And she had this collection of vampiric lore and knowledge. Well, lo and behold, the the tremor, the the magic using vampires, the tremor are like, well, wait a minute, who has this? What do you have this for? And then they start harassing her. They start trying to find out where her haven is. They start poking around, trying to figure out how to break in. How do we get this guy? How do we, you know, suddenly she owes back taxes on a property and the, the city wants to foreclose on stuff. It just gets, it just got weird. It all was, again, small annoyances where things were happening. <clears throat> it wasn't necessarily part of the main plot line, but it made the world seem more real because there was stuff happening around them based on things that they had all done, stuff they had found or whatever it was, um, causes other thing causes other people to want to get involved with them. And that's pretty cool to me. That just makes the world more, more live and having it be the MacGuffin everyone's after is okay every once in a while, but having it be a MacGuffin that a small group of people is after, and maybe the whole group doesn't even know about it. You know, it just becomes a single plot thing between Cat and this group of bad guys. Yeah. That was always fun. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I love it. I'm going to cool. do that now. Good. Yeah. So if other people got better ideas or if you um, or have attacked this in different ways, l- let us know. I'd like to hear about it because, honestly, in games when there's rewards out there, and it's not all magic items, and I, I probably didn't get as deep into the other components of it, <clears throat> excuse me, but even things, you know, Having access to heavy-duty robotics, having access to power sources for suits of armor and, and other things in sci-fi and fantasy, this stuff can be it can be unbalancing is the only phrase I can think of off the top of my head. And even if you're like me and you kind of don't fucking care about balance, you, it's still a thing you have to be able to deal with. And I, I believe that having that always be the MacGuffin battle gets kind of boring. I would rather have it be um, something, something a little more fun, a little more realistic to me. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Shall we move on? We shall. Die roll. Die roll. If you're new to the game, that is gaming and BS, we're going to talk about two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and Greekery we want to share with you. Ah, Brett has two. I have. How many do I have, Brett? I got four this week. You got four. I did find one from uh, one of our listeners, too, so that I'll, I'll count that as work I did on behalf of our listeners. What the hell, man? What, hey, take <clears throat> it any way you can get it, buddy. You're damn right. So the first one I have is that apparently King Tut was buried with a dagger from space. King Tut. <laughs> I was waiting for that. Steve Martin. <clears throat> so apparently, Arizona. Um, moved to Babylonia. Yeah. King Tut. Yeah, yep. sing it, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The dagger buried alongside the pharaoh was apparently made with iron from a meteorite. So this immediately brought to my mind, there is a, I cannot remember the name, the goddamn title of it, but there's a Conan story where there's this knife, this Uechi blade that's holding down this horrible, Iron Colossus, I think it is, is holding this horrible um, demonic thing down because it's this special blade can do something. And when you have, I mean, other than Sir Terry Pratchett having the sword, he was knighted and made out of meteoric iron. This is just cool. It's the type of thing that, uh, speaking of magic weapons and gear to hand out to people, this is uh, this is one of those cool things. Um, another piece talking about more equipment and stuff, documents inside of documents. Um, old books, old documents were actually used as binding material for newer books. So I'll link out in the show notes where x-rays are revealing a 1,300-year-old writings inside later book bindings. Um, so there are, in certain medieval manuscripts and such, and, and perhaps other people have already seen this or, or know about it, but they would take the book pulp and they would reuse things. And it looks like kind of a uh, odd form of recycling where you have these manuscripts that were then basically turned into bindings for other books. And uh, I just thought, what a really cool way for mages and uh, priests and so on to hide uh, hide knowledge. I thought that was pretty cool. Sean, over to you. Uh, so there's a guy that trained a machine to watch Blade Runner. What the fuck did he do that for? And then things got seriously sci-fi. Did he? Did he kill it? Hey, man, you got to read the article to find out, Brett. Because if he didn't kill it, it needs to be killed. It has to do with encoding video and interpreting the encoding. Because as humans, we will look at a video 
and come up with a type of, now I'm not getting into the weeds here and you have to read the article, but it has to do with like us being able to say, oh, encoding video, it has to be at a certain standard so we can still recognize it as video, right? And so what they did was they had an AI that watched it and to re-encode it with its own viewing. You got you got to read this stuff, it's, man. It's, I can't make this stuff up. It's an abomination unto the Lord. It needs to be destroyed. Oh my God! Bring me the robot, and I will bring a hammer. Whatever, dude. I'm he, serious. I'm fucking serious. He's gonna zap you before you get to him. Whatever. Kill it before it becomes sentient. Game Chef annual game design competition, June fourth through the twelfth. So when you're listening to this, hopefully you're listening to it right as we drop it, so you still have half the amount of time to take part in the game chef link in the show notes and i think we mentioned this last year about this time so uh, mark your calendar around this time of year if it's an annual game design right set your watch to it um so you can come up with something so there is a there i think it sets a a particular point plot not plot point but a device that you have to incorporate and i think this year it's technology so Chef, game chef for aspiring game designers and developers. Cool stuff. Dungeon Redo's zine, 32 page zine for 10 bucks, done by artist Tony Papish. Uh, or Papish? Or Papish? Or Papish. Anyways, the cover looks pretty freaking cool. It's kind of a mimic of Elmore's red uh, dragon red. on the red box. Yep, it's red boxy type cover. And so for 10 bucks, uh, I think he'll send you that zine. Um, it's, uh, I think it's just a lot of illustrations that he's done that you could actually, you can give the kids the color if you have kids that want a coloring book. Otherwise it's just kind of inspiration for gamers like us. Full color cover, 32 pages of monsters, uh, night. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Read it, color it, fold it, tear it. Sweet. There you go. And of course, number four, Christian Richards, uh, put up a bunch of tokens that can be used for, uh, virtual tabletops. Uh, so there's about 24, I don't know, 20, I don't know if it's up to 50, but about 25 tokens, like a table and chair and like a little pit um, that you can put in a virtual tabletop game like Roll20 or uh, some of the other ones, uh, Fantasy Grounds. And then when I went to his site and looked at those, he also said you can try them out on these free maps. So he's got... Huh free maps that you can incorporate into there as well. So obviously I think they're probably JPEGs and uh, just a good resource for those that play online play and want some maps and tokens. Very cool. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you, Christian. Yes. Thank you, Christian. If you listen to the show and if you don't um, start at number one, if you get this message. Exactly. Right. And uh, Hawk Sparrow had pointed us to a little something, something happening. Uh, Storm King's Thunder, a Dungeons and Dragons adventure. Looks kind of interesting. It's a 256-page adventure for characters levels 1 to 11+. plus. Giants have emerged from the strongholds to threaten civilization as never before. Hill giants are stealing all over the all the grain livestock, so uh, the usual thing here. Looks like we've got a little against the giants type of action, perhaps. Yeah, I wonder if that is in the works at Wizards. It's on um, Wizards. It's on their website. I'm looking at it, it right now. Are they yeah. putting out the giant series? I'm reading it. Right now on the website in the link in the show notes, you will see it. See Storm King's Thunder. Ah, so it is part of Wizards. It's on their page right now. Interesting. Release date, just for those of you who are in the know and care, September 6, 2016. Interesting. <clears throat> yes. All right. Well, this show brought to you by patrons like Joe Swick, Kevin Lovecraft, Steve Day, Old School DM, Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Jeff Rademacher, Forrester Gary, Misdirected Mark, Brett's Biggest Fan, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Tony Baker, Platian, Corey Wynn, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Christy, oh, the Knights of the Night crew, Jason the Beard Blaylock, Remy Billadu, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Mark Tasaka, new, thanks, Mark. Excellent. And Mirko Freulich. Thanks, Marco. Excellent. Merkel. Merkel. Consider becoming a patron of the show at gamingandbs.com forward slash Patreon. Uh, it's about the cost of a coffee and an expensive coffee shop a month. That 
that's all it takes. Hey, and, it, yeah. and we're going to put it towards advertising and con booklets to spread the word. We are going to put it towards... The giveaway for the 100th episode? Giving away stuff. So we just want to put it back out there. And frankly, Brett, uh, in addition, we should probably mention uh, we should do a Google Hangout pretty soon. Yes, we absolutely should. We should get one scheduled up for June. We've done these in the past. We usually pick like a Saturday um, when possible during the day. So um, if you're on our Google Plus or the Facebooks, check us out there. Track us. We'll announce it on the Twitters as well. So it'll be coming. What's the deal next week, Brett? Next week, I want to talk about humor in RPGs. We've uh, Sean and I obviously like to screw around quite a bit on the show here. We try to get a laugh or two out of uh, out of each other. Hopefully, maybe somebody else thinks we're funny. But I want to talk about it a little bit because there is... I've never played... I, should, I shouldn't say that. I've rarely played an RPG where there wasn't some laughter at the table. But there's always that time when perhaps it goes a little bit too far. And uh, maybe there's that time when there's not enough. So we'll talk about that next time. Excellent. So for Gaming and BS, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night, good gaming all. <laughs>